today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. John was given that, and he says, you've got to prophesy again. John, you're not finished. It's so easy when you think, well, hey, if they're not going to hear me, then forget them, forget them. But you know what? We don't have that option. None of us, even today, have that option. We might say, well, I don't want to share my faith with that guy or that gal at work. I don't want to share my faith with my neighbor. They're never going to listen to me. You don't know that. You don't know what God might be working in their heart. And you know what? Even if they don't hear you, your call is to give reason for the hope that's within you. Have you ever shared with someone and then thrown your hands up in the air because they're not hearing you? Pastor David is encouraging us today to continue to pursue them. Our job is to plant seeds. What the Lord does with those seeds is out of our hands. It's not our job to judge whether their hearts are softening to the gospel. Our job is to continue to share with them, even when the outcome seems bleak. Let's all be refreshed by today's teaching and allow it to energize us to press on. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Revelation chapter 10 with today's edition of The Open Word. This angel stands on the sea and he stands on the land. Again, speaking of authority, speaking of control, he has authority and control over both. He speaks with a loud voice as when a lion speaks. Not the voice of a lion, but as when a lion speaks. With that same kind of commanding authority, when a lion roars, they say that you can hear it all through the jungle, all through the zoo for our sakes if we go up there. A lion roaring can just carry for a long, long place. So again, this power. And then as he speaks, when he cried out, It says, seven thunders uttered their voices. Seven thunders uttering their voices. He says, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. Now, I believe that as John heard this, he saw this, he was writing all this stuff down. He was ready, he was prepared to write these things down. Why? Because that's what the Lord had told him to do. Remember in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, write down these things, the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things that will take place after this. But he's told to stop. And there's some things that the Lord does not reveal to us. I don't know about you, I'm glad that he doesn't reveal all things to us. When I was younger in the Lord, I used to think, Lord, I just pray, would you just unzip that curtain between our physical life and that spiritual reality that's going on. I used to think I would really like to see that, but the more I grew in the Lord and the more I read his word, we'd be scared to death 
I believe, if we saw what was on the other side and the fierce battles that are going on. You realize that there's a battle going on even right now tonight as you're here studying the word that there is a spiritual battle that's going on not only to try and keep you from partaking of the word but to keep that word from having any kind of effect within your life so again that spiritual battle this thing here these seven thunders they voice out but he says john don't write these things seal these things up do not write them What if God did reveal all of his plans for you? What if suddenly, you know, the Lord just kind of threw out before you, this is what life is going to be from here on out? Some might, yeah, panic would be a good word. Because we wonder, well, it's probably not going to be all good, is it? I mean, most of us, we've lived our lives long enough to realize that not all of life is good. There's going to be some tough places. There's going to be some places, as, as one man you know, uh, just prophesied to me, he says, I see you going through, being pushed through the neck of a bottle. But once you get through, you know, there'll be release from that. And that kind of thing, when he gave that to him, I think, wow. And sure enough, in our life, we've seen that personally, just kind of how the pressure of life just kind of squeezes everything in. I think if we knew what tomorrow held in store for us, some of us wouldn't even get out of bed, would we? We would just kind of say, no, no, forget it. I'm staying here. I'm staying here. I'll let today pass. There's some things that God does that we don't need to know. We just need to trust. Amen? We just need to trust says in verse 5, the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that what? There should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God shall be finished as he declared to his servants, the prophets. He says he swore by the one who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things. So church, who did he swear by? By Christ. Christ, the one who lives forever and ever, who created all things. So that's one of the reasons why I look at this and I say, no, this isn't Christ, this is an angel here, sent for a special duty, for a special purpose. And while he's standing there with one foot in the ocean, one foot on the land, it says that he raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever, who's created all things, that you know what? There should be delay no longer. In other words, it's time to finish up all that God had started in this. It was time for the end to begin, to put it that way. The intermission is soon going to be over. The pleading of God for the repentance of man is going to come to an end. And that's what we're going to see here. Up until this point, and we've stopped as we've paused a couple of places thus far in the study and said, you know, it seems that this is pause that God is giving 
for man to repent, for man to turn from his wicked ways, that there's always this opportunity, there's this testimony that goes out. Even when we put the words, as John put the words there in verse 9, that, and yet they did not repent, that sounds to me like there is an opportunity to repent, and yet man doesn't. There's an opportunity to get their life right with God, and yet man doesn't. So the pleading of God for man's repentance is now going to end. From this point on, we'll see there'll be no more chances. From this point on, as that final woe comes, as that final trumpet blast, and the bowls of God's wrath pours out on people, there's no turning back at this point in time. If they hadn't repented up to this point, there's not going to be an opportunity for repentance. Beloved, that is a horrible, horrible place to get to. And yet the hardness of man's heart has brought him to that point. He says here also that in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished. The mystery of God. Well, the mystery of God is really no mystery. The mystery of God is the message of the gospel, the message of the gospel of hope, particularly to the Gentiles. And over and over, Paul declares what that mystery is. He says that it's the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. He tells us that in Ephesians chapter 3. But then in Colossians 1, he says, this mystery of God to the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, the very mystery that though God had called Israel, he still has salvation and redemption available for the Gentiles. In Colossians chapter 4, he says, the mystery of Christ, for which I'm also still in chains. Why was Paul in chains? Because he continued to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And basically, it pretty well ticked the Jews off. And so they did everything that they could to get him arrested. And so Paul says, I'm in chains because of the mystery of the gospel. The Old Testament time frame, God spoke through the law and the prophets. That's what Hebrews tells us. Again, he was calling Israel to himself. But in the New Testament, Hebrews tells us that in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the worlds. That's the gospel. That's the mystery. He declared to his servants, the prophets. He also declared through Christ. So in verse 8, then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, go and take that little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, give me the little book. And he said to me, take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey to your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings." Earlier in chapter 5, we had this scroll, apparently a pretty massive scroll. It had seven different seals on it to open this whole thing up, see what it is. So here 
is this little book, little scroll, where it really is what it was. They didn't have books the way that we do. It was a small little scroll. And he said, take the scroll, which had been opened, and he says, eat it, and then what you're going to find out is very sweet in your mouth, but it's very bitter in your stomach. I look at this, and I think, perhaps, just perhaps, because we don't see a whole lot more, this last verse, verse 11, may be kind of the key to what is in that little book. It says, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Perhaps again, still the word of the Lord. Is it maybe even what John is going to be writing down and symbolically this is it? What does it mean about being sweet to the mouth, bitter to the stomach? The work in the ministry of a prophet is both bitter and sweet. As we look at these things, it's sweet to be a a spokesman of the Lord. Man, the Lord has given me this message. I want to be able to speak it out. But the problem is it's bitter to have to proclaim when it's coming judgment or when you proclaim these things and people don't listen. Not unlike really, you know, preaching the word or you witnessing, sharing the word with somebody. What a joy it is to be able to share the truth of Christ in you. But what a heartbreak it is when someone rejects that and turns away from it. It's not only a heartbreak you feel to yourself, they've rejected me, but in reality, no, they've rejected the Lord. And that's the greater of the heartbreaks right there. They have rejected the Lord. It's sweet to hear. It's sweet to see. It's sweet to feel the presence of the Lord, but it's bitter to have to experience the reality of a vision of suffering and violence on the earth. Right now, there are saints in the Middle East, that are getting slaughtered, absolutely slaughtered, and how bitter that is. The sweetness is so many of them belong to the Lord, and once they are beheaded, man, they are in the presence of the Lord. That's the sweetness. The bitterness of it is just the heartbreak and the savagery. Can you imagine having the message that John had here Because there's nothing really lighthearted about the book of Revelation. We look at these things, and this is a weighty, weighty book. It's a book that literally nightmares are made of. You see all these beasts, and somebody was talking last week after we finished talking about the locusts, who are actually scorpions and sting you, and they got these teeth, and they got the hair of a woman, the face of a man, and said, I'm going to have nightmares from here on in. But that's part of the bitterness of this work of prophecy. And John was given that. And he says, you've got to prophesy again. John, you're not finished. It's so easy when you think, well, hey, if they're not going to hear me, then forget them, forget them. But you know what? We don't have that option. None of us even today have that option. We might say, well, I don't want to share my faith with that guy or that gal at work. I don't want to share my faith with my neighbor. They're never going to listen to me. You don't know that. You don't know what God might be working in their heart. And you know what? Even if they don't hear you, your call is to give reason for the hope that's within you. Your call, the command of the Lord, is to, again, be ready in season and out of season and to be able to share that hope and to share that faith. Think of the ministry of of Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah for 40 years talk about zero church growth, you know. It's like, man, we, we, we don't have anything. There were no converts in all of Jeremiah's ministry. 
and over and over and over. He was even in prison for it. Again, but God says, no, you go tell them. Okay, they didn't listen to that. I want you to go and do this now. They didn't listen to that. Now, I want you to go and do this now. I want you to humble yourself in some of the most bizarre ways and yet show again who I am before this people and who this people are before me. You go show them, Jeremiah. Lord, they're not listening to me. I've been doing this like for 20 years. They're not listening to me. And I think for him, no, you've got to go and prophesy again. And now for John, all of these things happened, all of these plagues, all of those that were killed, and they had not repented. They continue on in their worship of demons and idols of gold, of silver, of brass and stone and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. They continued on in their murderers and their sorceries and their sexual immorality and their thefts. And God says, John, go tell them again. Go tell them again. Chapter 11. It says, and I, John is saying this, I was given a reed like a measuring rod. And the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple. Do not measure it, for it's been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. In other words, three and a half years. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. I'll look at the witnesses in a moment. But first of all, let's look at this idea of measuring. Take a measuring rod and go and measure the temple. This is a last days event, okay? You realize that, that this is all a last days event. And it's really interesting in reading in preparation for this. Some of the commentators that were writing before the mid-1900s, they're saying, well, all of this is allegorical. All of this is symbolic. And they're trying to, again, jump through hoops to make any of this make sense. Why? Because Israel wasn't a nation at that point in time. Because there was not a temple over in Israel for them to measure. They were starting saying, no, this is the spiritual house of the Lord. We are now the temple of the Lord. But it doesn't work. It doesn't fit in any of this. I believe that what John is given to measure is the third temple, the one that has not been built yet. It's really interesting when you look at this. When you look at it as figurative, There's so many hoops that you've got to jump through. There's so many twists and turns to make it make any sense at all. And yet when you look at it literal, the only problem is, is there's not a temple there yet. And how in the world are they going to be able to build a temple right now with the Muslim Dome of the Rock and the the mosque there that's on the same site up on the Temple Mound? Well, it's very interesting. If you get a chance to go to Israel, up on the Temple Mound, just north of the Dome of the Rock, there is the Shrine of the Spirits. The Shrine of the Spirits is it's very small, maybe about a uh, about a ten by ten space. But in the it's got a little canopy over the top of it, and inside of it, on the bottom, it's wide open. But in the middle of it, there is a piece of rock, and they say that that is actually bedrock of the Temple Mound. The other portion of bedrock is actually located inside the Dome of the Rock. 
a lot of research and, and looking through, a, a lot of people have looked and said, no, the temple was located right where the Dome of the Rock, right where the Muslims have their shrine built. And the Dome of the Rock is not a mosque, it's a shrine. And as long as that's there, the Jews will never be able to build the third temple. That's got to be destroyed. So again, they're going to have to go and tear that down. Well, you know that would start World War III right there. There's like no way that that's going to happen. However, the Shrine of the Spirits, just north of that, there is space actually still on the Temple Mound that if that Shrine of the Spirits and that bedrock how cool that would be if that was really where the Holy of Holies was located. You see, it's a lot of speculation because we don't have the layout. All of that was totally wiped out, totally wiped out by the Romans in 70 AD. And so through the years, they've come back through, well, that must have been where the Holy of Holies is, where the Dome of the Rock is. No, there's another place and the situation, how it's situated, it's not situated right in the center of the space of the land. No, it's situated off to the side where in the Holy of Holies, if that was the place where it was, it would have been in the backside of the temple proper, the Holy of Holies and the holy place. Another interesting thing is that shrine of the spirits is right directly across what's known as the Eastern Gate, right exactly across from it. So there's a lot of stuff that could play. And when you look at this and he says, leave out the court which is outside the temple, do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. Do you think that maybe a man of peace could come and say, look, you guys keep your Dome of the Rock, the Muslim shrine. You keep your mosque, which is further just to the south of that. And we'll give this portion here for the Jews. They're not going to build the whole temple complex. All they're going to do is build the holy place and the holy of holies within that. And there's plenty of room there. And then it would face directly to the eastern gate at that point in time. Very, very interesting and in all of that. He says, for all of this, the Gentiles, they're going to tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. And again, even as we shared back in Daniel in chapter 12, the, the three and a half years, we also see it in Daniel chapter 9, beginning of verse 27. He says, then he, speaking of the Antichrist, he's going to make this covenant with many for one week. Seven, think of that, seven days. Thinking of that as seven years. In the middle of that week, three and a half days or three and a half years, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. So in other words, Israel has to have the temple place built to where they will be rebuilding or redoing sacrifices again. And the Antichrist is going to allow them to do that for three and a half years. And after that, then we're going to find out a little bit later as we look at this, Antichrist comes in and sets himself up in that temple and again demands worship to him. That's the abomination that makes it desolate, even to the consummation which is determined, abomination of desolation, that we'll look at as we get further into Revelation. So we see it laid out. Again, the players being put in place so that when we get to that place a little bit later on, we'll see this has all been planned, this has all been worked out. Changes from within by the open word. 
Thanks for spending your time with us today on The Open Word. If you were encouraged by this time together learning more about Jesus and want to hear more, we'd invite you to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes where you can get notified of the latest message as soon as it's available or find archive messages you may have missed. You can even find these teachings online at theopenword.com. There you can learn all about The Open Word and the ministry we're blessed to be a part of. In fact, Pastor David has a special message for you about how you too can be involved in sharing the good news through the open word. There really is something deeply refreshing about being a part of God's kingdom. Not only do I get to learn more about him every time I open the Bible, but he's given me the great privilege of sharing his love with you. This radio ministry and others like it, they're a wonderful and powerful way that God is reaching people across the nation and well, across the world with the gospel. We're blessed to be a part of it. But as with any ministry, there are expenses. Would you prayerfully consider being a part of our financial support here at The Open Word? If you feel led to give, visit theopenword.com and click on the support option. That'll bring you to our secure giving page. Your gift will help us to continue to grow and spread the word of God. Thank you for bringing this matter before the Lord. Thanks, Pastor David. As our time with you draws to a close, know that we continue to pray for you and for more and more people to come to know Jesus through this ministry. Join us next time to continue studying Revelation right here on The Open Word.